look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popwich. How you doing, buddy? I'm terrific. Faisal, how about you? Merry Christmas. Well, a little bit early, but Merry Christmas. Well, yeah, and to you too, and Merry Christmas to all our listeners, right? It's uh, it's that time of the year. Can I share the story about our Christmas party? Yeah. Okay, so when when I was coming to the Christmas party and I was ready to go into our into the hall to meet all of our clients and so forth, I was told to stay politically correct. I was told... <laughs> to not talk about you know don't don't push the envelope on anything and i just had to you know me i had to so i said screw it i said merry christmas to everybody instead of happy holidays and you know how many people patted me on the back for that that was i I actually liked that because i think we've we've taken this a bit too far i think you know it's it's christmas time and even though some of us may not religiously celebrate it it's this is the christmas holiday season we can all respect each other's religious beliefs correct so merry christmas dave that sounds good merry christmas to you too okay so we've got a great show today um we're going to discuss tax changes wow just before christmas tax changes that can affect your holiday plans uh tax (laughs) unfortunately gets more complicated every year all right grinch yeah (laughs) especially important considerations for uh people that are snowbirds so listen for that and you know it's funny usually in the last 10 days of the of the year people start worrying about next year's taxes and so forth and what do I do about this year's taxes and so forth? Yep. So we got some tax tips that could save you money uh, come April when that tax return comes into play. Yep. And you're going to hear a little bit about how to solve a couple's uh, retirement puzzle. I mean, that's what we do all day long. Uh, retirement is a complex period of time because there's multiple competing goals and there's complexity to do with families. Yeah. And uh, we, we chat about, uh, we'll chat about what the results of the 2018 retirement survey from Fidelity Investments. This is a great piece. We've had him on the show before earlier this year. We want to talk about um, you know, some of the results and some of the key findings of that. People are, I'm surprised, not planning for retirement as they should. Uh, we're fortunate to have uh, Peter Bowen with us today to go through some of that material. So Peter is the uh, Vice President Tax and Retirement Research at Fidelity Investments. Peter, I want to welcome you to the show. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, great to be on the show. Thank you. You know, you know, Peter. One one thing that Dave and I get to do in our in our job is read all the research from multiple providers, and there's been pretty much no one set of document that can give us a quick overview of how people are feeling, the survey responses, in the way that Fidelity does it. So I want to thank you first, right out of the gates, on on how you guys put this information together, and it kind of gives individuals um, the ability to understand what some of the concerns are more for um I, th- I would say from an advisor perspective but this is great reading for people who are transitioning sure. to or living in retirement because th- you're not alone and sometimes you feel like you're alone or your or your emotions are alone in this situation because it's a it's a very complex time in your life and so to, to see that there's many many canadians who feel uh, the same way you do is is i think comforting yeah. and i said i want to just want to come out and say uh, you know uh, peter thank you so much for all your guys hard work you guys do so Peter, let's just maybe start high level. Um, give us a, a bit of a summary, an executive summary of uh, of what the survey indicated, and then we can uh, maybe explore some specific questions and even differences over the past few years, the trends. Sure. Uh, yes, we've been doing this for uh, quite a few years, as you mentioned. And, uh, you know, one of the benefits of that is that it also allows us to not just spot areas of concern uh, that people have uh, and, and beneficial ways of approaching retirement, but also uh, trends over the years. So, yep. uh, in, in fact, we're seeing an increase in the number of Canadians that have 
written financial plans, which uh, we think is a, a very good thing. Um, we're seeing changes in about how think people are thinking about working in retirement uh, because uh, there are uh, a lot more Canadians actually doing that and even more that are planning to do that. Uh, and, and we're spotting things like the, the use of technology uh, of, of these uh, the people once they move into retirement uh, that, that are actually a bit surprising uh, compared to the, the conventional wisdom. So let's, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Let's let's talk a little bit about, let's just talk about this age thing. So um, how does the actual uh, retirement age compare, you know, in your research, compare to what people intend to do? Is that, and has there been any change in trend there? Um, yes, there has been a change in, in trend. Uh, in, in fact, the average age of retirement uh, has been creeping up over the last few years, Uh but that said, there are still a lot of people that are retiring perhaps earlier than they, they uh, were expecting to. So, mm-hmm. in fact, our survey finds that a, a significant majority of what we call pre-retirees, so those who haven't retired yet, intend to work to at least 65. But when we look at the retirees themselves, a significant majority of them actually retired before age 65. In fact, uh, if we drill a bit deep, deeper, 44% of them retired before age 60. And uh, this is actually consistent with what, what the, the data that we see from Canada Pension Plan, uh, where fewer than one in 10 Canadians start taking CPP past the age of 65. And in fact, uh, just over 40% actually started at age 60, even though arguably delaying taking CPP can be more beneficial in the long run. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in your comment in the research that um, you know more people have a, a written financial plan. I would say that's a cornerstone of building a proper retirement plan, as we talk about it, Faisal. Yep. Um, uh, maybe share with us sort of the trend in that data that you're seeing. Okay, when it comes to financial plans, uh, um, I agree. I think it is a key cornerstone. And uh, luckily, or fortunately, we are seeing an increase in the number of written uh, Canadians that have written plans uh, that deal specifically with retirement. Uh, in fact, the, the incidence of those written plans is the highest in over a decade. That said, it's still only 30% of respondents. Uh, so I, I would definitely like to see that uh, be significantly higher. But it is very important because, uh, you know, when we, we ask we drill down a bit deeper, um, 92% of respondents with a written financial plan feel positive mm-hmm. about life in retirement, uh, it, whereas the, the, the percentage is much lower if they don't have that. And this goes across multiple elements. We actually survey people about how they feel for retire- about readiness for retirement across four dimensions. It's financial, emotional, social, and physical. Right. And across each of those four dimensions. Those that have a written plan uh, feel more prepared for retirement than those that don't. So um, I always, uh, I, I would fully agree with your comment that it should be a cornerstone yep. of retirement planning, and it's one of those benefits that people get by working with a financial advisor. You know, there's, and it's an interesting point, Faisal. I want to I want to address what um, um, Peter just said because, you know, there are many people out there that think. The, the financial plan is to determine whether they have enough money. Okay, That's an important consideration. But even those people that know they have enough money, a financial plan 
can be critical in helping them do proper tax analysis, proper structuring from will and estate perspective, right? It goes well beyond just the simple back-of-the-napkin calculation to figure out, oh, gosh, do I have enough money? That comes from our, our own um, industry. And the mm-hmm. advertising that we have done as an, as an industry as a whole to the market has said, what's your number? Do you have enough? And we've talked about the numbers only. We haven't talked about the quality and the risks that can come up. There, I have r- very rarely seen a financial plan from another, ad- another advisor that's come to us for second opinion that indicate what are some of the risks that something can go wrong in your retirement or right mm. before your retirement. How do you protect those risks? Yeah. And those are, the, those are the concerns that I have is that we've really pushed on the numbers because we're number guys at right. the end of the day, right? We just we crunch numbers all day long, but it's not, it's not just the numbers. It's that those four areas that Peter was talking about that's not even mentioned in the plan. You know, I was just going to say, Peter, and, and I think that's a good segue back to you on the, those, those four quadrants because I said it's a financial plan is a cornerstone of a good retirement plan, but a retirement plan goes beyond just the numbers. And you talked about those other four quadrants. Um, so I'd, I'd really like your opinion on, on the research or I guess the results of the research on how people are actually spending their time in retirement versus what they expect and what we can glean from that. Right. And then this is when we look at retirement planning, it needs to be a holistic view where we're looking at all elements. Uh, so when we uh, think about how they're spending time in in retirement, uh, definitely we're seeing actually an increased use of technology, for instance. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for the first time this year, we decided to add consideration about use of social media uh, in addition to internet activity, which we'd looked at previously. And we're really finding um, interesting data there that uh, about 50% of retirees are actually spending more time Online and dealing with social uh, uh, than online than they expected to, and forty percent are spending more time on social media, which mm-hmm. really isn't uh, consistent with with what people think about when they think about retirees, and that's actually much more than than those who are uh, who, who are, are planning to retire, and then and the amount of time they're sp- planning to spend in, in various areas. One of the interesting Uh, things, Peter, when you talk about technology is how it's changed for the average user or person. We before, if you look at our the old way of retirement, it was to travel and to connect with people who are close to you and do things with them. And people are realizing their social network is much larger. Uh, people are more global than ever before. How do you keep tabs of your of your grandkids and see pictures of them and so forth? They're using these social mediums that allow them to keep in touch. More importantly, where are they getting their information about all the things that are going on in this world? is through social media, news feeds such as Twitter and so forth. How do you keep track of Donald Trump? Twitter, right? Like you you got to do those things. And it's, it's very interesting how social media, we, th- we thought, would be a millennial or younger group uh, cohort. And that's absolutely wrong. It's not only that demographic. It's actually every demographic. And people are, are um, um, accepting it more now than ever before. Mm-hmm. Right. And Peter, just to wrap up, and I'm sorry, we've only got about a minute to go. Was there anything in the report that caught your attention as a trend that surprised you? Uh, I think I would drill down into the uh, the, the working in retirement concept. Uh, now, at Fidelity, we've always had a, a bit of a almost a tagline to say, planning to work in retirement is not a retirement plan. Right. But a lot of people are working in retirement, and even more are expecting to work in retirement. Uh, and that's often viewed in the media as, as a negative, but, but that's not necessarily the case. The number one reason for people working in retirement is that it keeps them mentally and physically active. So uh, that's actually a good thing. And even if it's a financial reason, 
the, the number one financial reason is I can do more of what I like to do in retirement. I mean, we're talking about working to thrive, not to survive. To so survive, yeah. uh, it, it's actually a very interesting area that's uh, evolving over time. We'll have to leave it there, Peter. I want to thank you for your time again today. We've enjoyed it, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again next year when the new retirement uh, research comes out. Great. Thank you. All right. We've been joined by Peter Bowen, Vice President, Tax and Retirement Research at Fidelity Investments, and we've got to wrap this up, but we are going to talk about you know, uh, how to structure a successful retirement plan, not just financial plan. That's a, that's a cornerstone. That's important, but a successful retirement plan, which involves not just the quantitative math, but the qualitative efforts of uh, what that lifestyle looks like. And that will be on Tuesday, January 22nd, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine, Spirits and Beer. You need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or register online by going to www.morethanmoneyradio.com. You're on 770-CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770-CHQR and More Than Money. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to talk not just about money, but we're going to talk about more than that because tax and how did the tax changes in the U.S., the Trump tax changes, affect Canadians? Yes. Nobody's talking about that. So no one's talking about that because what happened, I think, maybe seven years ago, eight years ago on our show, we started hearing a lot of um, tax advisors saying, hey, if you're going to buy property, remember we were at par and they were going to buy property in the States and they said, you might want to put it in a corporation. Right. Might want to set up a corporation, put that property in your in your U.S. property in that corporation for all these other tax reasons. Yep. And so, what's happened now is there's been a tax change Things from the change. Trump administration. You got it. And so, we got to see what the impacts of those Trump uh, tax changes are on Canadians who own property in the U.S. Well, and listen, that's above our pay grade, but we have found somebody <laughs> whose pay grade <laughs> matches us. That's right. Uh, David Altro is the uh, managing partner of Altro LLP. Now, this is these guys specialize, David and his crew specialize in cross-border tax, estate planning, U.S. real estate, immigration. They've got offices in Canada and the U.S. No better person to talk to than that, Dave. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Pleasure to be on the show. Well, let's talk about this little mess we might uh, potentially have. So maybe you can just give us a sort of a high-level summary of what changes have been made to the U.S. tax code that could affect Canadian snowbirds. Excellent. So uh, in December of 2017, uh, the uh, U.S. Um, tax Department was able to get through a new law uh, called Tax Cuts and Job Creations Act. And um, has a lot of changes but uh, to talk about what uh, we want to talk about today, it's a change in the corporate tax rate. So it means if a Canadian uh, resident uh, is buying a personal use property in uh, the States, say in the uh, Phoenix area or down in yep. the Valley in, uh, in California, uh, uh, they may be getting advice that they should be putting it in a corporation. Corporate tax rate before the change was 35%. Okay. After the cor- after the change, the corporate tax rate is twenty one percent. So big change, right? Mm-hmm. So you might think at first blush that now is a good time to, uh, if you're buying, to put it in a Canadian corporation or a USC corporation, either one. Well, uh, here's the interesting point: it's still not a good idea. Okay, I'll bite. Why? And why? <laughs> why is it not a good idea? Okay. Well, first of all. Uh, the tax rate, 21%, is good. Uh, if you put it in your name personally or in a cross-border trust, it's 20%. That's not a difference that matters. Okay. However, here's the big one. Uh, the CRA, our tax department in Canada, does tax 
uh, corporations in a very peculiar way. If you have a personal use corporation and uh, you're the shareholder and you have a Florida or an Arizona property in there, uh, you are using it personally. The CRA takes the position that you're getting a benefit, a shareholder's benefit, and it's a taxable shareholder's benefit. Mm-hmm. What's that mean? That means that even though it's personal use and you're not renting it out, the um, hypothetical rental, fair market rental value, which might be thirty or forty thousand dollars, you have to add that onto your income, your personal income in Canada, and pay tax on it. Dave, I just want to buy a house in this uh, down south. I just want to do that. <laughs> how do yeah, we? How I do we do that? Cross border trust. You yeah. put it in a trust that is uh, gets you the lower rates in the state and doesn't trigger a problem on Canada's side, and you don't have that issue. It's very important that I point this out, though, because yep. people are not going to be aware of this. If they go online and they look at that, or they go to U.S. advisors who don't understand the Canadian tax ramifications. So, so what kind of a, a purchase of a home is it? Just a person who buys a home in the U.S. of any is, value? Of any value? Yeah. Is there a deter- like, wh- who fits for this cross-border trust, trust and who doesn't fit for the cross-border trust? If it's, if I say this, you know, everything's cost-benefit, right? And we try to keep things simple for our clients. So, if you're buying a property in the states under a hundred grand. In my opinion, just put it in your name personally. You know, if once you're over the hundred thousand and you anticipate it's going to grow more, uh, you know, or you're buying two hundred or five hundred thousand dollar property, uh, definitely it's better to put in a cross border trust. Why? You get the lower capital gain tax rate when you sell. Number two is you don't have probate when you pass away under this laws of California, which is the worst place in the United States for probate tax. It's unbelievable. Number three, what happens if you're incapacitated mentally? Well, if you have it in a cross-border trust, at least your family can take over and sell the property. But if it's in your name personally, you've got to have a guardianship done. So there's a lot of different issues. We can protect the children if there is, uh, that when you leave it to them in the trust, from their own problems, i.e. creditors or divorces. So it's a much better structure. So what about there's there's a certain group of people who've bought property mm-hmm. in the U.S. Let's pick on Hawaii because the prices are a lot higher than in certain other states, but they've done it in, I, I said, in groups. So they've got a bunch of couples get together, put some money in, and, and they all share it. Same idea, cross-border trust in that situation? Well... Um, it depends on a few different things, uh, what the value is, again, as you accurately pointed out. Number two is um, the uh, what is the uh, situation between all of them, because sometimes uh, a limited partnership is a, an effective way. You have to have some kind of partnership agreement if you've got a whole bunch of people together. So I really don't uh, – you know, we ask a lot of questions before we make decisions. Where are you getting your money from? Do you need financing? Is it a long-term hold? Is it a short-term hold? Yep. Is it a renovation and a flip? You know, there's a lot of different uh, issues, guys, before we make a, a plan. But cross-border trust and cross-border irrevocable trust typically are the best way to go for personal use properties, but not for uh, rental properties. If you're going to have income-producing properties, we, we like to look at uh, corporations, uh, two-tiered corporations. We like to look at limited partnership structures, but again, it all depends on um, what it's about. I have clients that are uh, buying a apartment building that's going to have about 200 doors, and they need financing in the States. So we have to make sure that the structure fits for the financing bank.
Yeah. Gotcha. You know, and uh, this is really important, and David, thank you for sort of outlining the complexities here. We just, and I was being a bit facetious, I just want to buy a house in the United States, right? It's it's different in the United States as a Canadian than just buying a house here. There are things That's to right. consider yeah. that we've got That's to stop it. and pause, right, and engage the appropriate professionals to make sure that you and your family are protected from these kinds of things. Yeah, and what worked for your neighbor doesn't mean it's going to work for you because some people go out and just do what they do, and they say, oh, I did this, so go ahead right. and do it. You need to get the advice on this, especially when you're going across any border or you're going to any other country to purchase assets. There's a there's a, there's a a risk there that you have to be aware of, and you have to weigh your, your options out. So that's 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 one key thing. Now, now David, there are, you're, you're out east. Um, you're dealing out of uh, with a lot of clients there. We're in Alberta. How do people get in touch with you, if they, and can they use your services? With pleasure. We are all across Canada. We actually have an office in Calgary and Vancouver also and down in California. Uh, and uh, we have clients everywhere. So it's uh, call us on our 1-800-GO-ALTRO, A-L-T-R-O line, or check our website, altrolaw.com. And uh, we work uh, by a video conference or meetings or whatever. And uh, we, we uh, also follow you guys on your stuff. So, you know, we're looking at everything and being right across Canada. We are Canadian, but we are doing U.S. Uh, um, planning for Canadians. Yeah, that's great, David. We've got maybe a minute or less. And, and so I run the legacy bucket on our team and, you know, interested in, in strategies to um, save tax, protect family members from weird family dynamics, get assets into the hands of the people yeah. they want. Now, there, I, I believe that there was some changes to the estate tax exemption also. Can you do justice in a very quick period of time that what we need to be thinking about for U.S. property? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, solutions are going to be trust to avoid U.S. estate tax. However, what happened is the uh, used to be an exemption. If your worldwide estate, including everything you have, was under $5.5 million and you had a U.S. property, you had no U.S. death tax or estate tax. Right. Now, under the new act, it's an exemption of $11,200,000. Sounds fantastic. Sounds great. But remember this. In a few years, 2026, that exemption in the act, is dropping right back down to five million indexed. So it's very important to understand that that big increase in exemption level is only short term. So planning is still very important. Yeah. Okay, David. Thank you. We're going to leave it at that. I appreciate very much your time today. Hey, thanks a lot. We've been joined by David Altro, managing partner of the Altro. Uh, sorry, of Altro LLP. Now, there you got from the conversation. Specialist in cross border tax, estate planning, U.S. real estate. If you own or are thinking of buying U.S. property. You need to get proper advice to make sure that you're properly Absolutely. protected. We've got a uh, Faisal. We've got a seminar coming up here. We should remind everybody it was packed uh, last month. We want you to get a seat if you're interested. Pure education, no obligation. We just want everybody's retirement experience to be fantastic. We want to inform the public on how to structure retirement, and we'll do that on Tuesday, January twenty second, seven p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine Spirits and Beer. You need to reserve your seat, so give us a call nine six six eighty four hundred. That's 966-8400, or go online to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. You know, we talk about um, uh, legacy often, an estate plan, right? There's lots of people in this country that have more wealth than they're going to consume and use it, you know, supporting their lifestyle, and then they face the daunting task of making sure everything is handled according to their wishes at the end. The money ends up where they want. They reduce taxes, maximize the benefit to you know, the people or charities or organizations that they want to benefit from. Can I share my story? Okay. What happened on Thursday? Oh, yeah. 
So yeah. at the, in the morning, I went to go meet one of our clients, and um, she hasn't been really involved in the financial decisions of the, of the investments and so forth. It's been her husband, and in the spring, her husband uh, uh, had a stroke mm-hmm. and has been unable to take care of himself or his needs and unable to communicate and so forth because of that situation. And for the past, I'd say, seven years, I've been on their case to uh, to try to get a the proper estate documents, which is a will, power of attorney, and personal care directive. And when I sat at the kitchen table with her, I asked, has that been done now? And she looked at me and said, no. Mm. And now the fear has come in that, you know, we wanted to get this done. We were thinking about get this done. We just delayed it for seven years uh, since you've been on our case. And uh, and so I, I think this is a timely piece in in for me because, for sure. because of what I, I experienced with our client on, on Thursday. But more important, I think it's important that we can all learn from this situation and, and, and utilize that for our benefit. Yeah, it's often one of these things that isn't, uh, it's not a pressing crisis until it's a crisis, right? And Correct. unfortunately, they get delayed. Well, to help us understand a little bit about the, the steps and the complexity of this, uh, we've got Jamie Golan back with us. He's the Managing Director, Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC Financial Planning and Advice. Jamie, welcome to the show. My pleasure. Welcome. Thanks. Let's talk a little bit about that. You, know, you heard Faisal's situation there. Um, maybe we can outline uh, the steps that families should be thinking about taking when they're, you know, when they're at, in the process of building an estate plan. What are some of the key elements? Sure. I mean, people think that estate planning is only for the wealthy, but the truth is, if you've got anyone at all that you care about, uh, either it's kids, charities, nieces, nephews, a spouse, a partner, anyone, you need to have an estate plan, even if you're not wealthy. So we sort of go through uh, with our clients a 10-step process that sort of begins uh, sort of with assembling a team and goes right through. So we can take it sort of through that. Um, We start, of course, with a team of professionals, so you don't have to do it alone. So your financial advisor, obviously you want to get a lawyer involved and your accountant. I can really put together a plan that is both legally effective, but it's also tax effective because obviously there's certain assets that are better left to some people while other assets perhaps are better left to a charity. I really like your second step here because I think many, many households do not do this on a regular basis just for their own uh, their own benefit, but especially when it comes time for a an estate plan, they don't think that they have to do this one next step. What is step number two? Well, our step number two is to draw up a household balance sheet. That's essentially a snapshot of your financial position. On it, you list all your assets and liabilities. And it really is a good starting point. You want to make sure that everything is properly dealt with. So this would include obvious liabilities like a mortgage or a car loan. It may also include less obvious liabilities like loans from family members. You may have loaned a, a sibling money years ago, and you might think, oh, when they die, they'll be so upset that they'll forget about the loan. <laughs> it actually doesn't happen. <laughs> Usually they wait till a few days after the funeral before the family member comes back and says, hey, he owed me $20,000. Right. I want to be paid before you distribute one cent to the kids. So uh, these are other liabilities that might come out of nowhere. Now, uh, the third step um, is one that people often kind of shrug their shoulders at a little bit, and that's understanding your, your life insurance needs. Walk us through that step. Yeah, well, look, life insurance isn't for everyone. I mean, certainly if you've got a young family, you want lots of cheap term insurance to be able to provide for them in case something goes wrong. Uh, But at the end of the day, life insurance can play a critical role, not only in tax planning for the sheltering available through permanent policies like universal life and whole life, but also they can also be used to pay any taxes owing on death. If you've got a a vacation property, maybe you've got a condo in Canmore, and uh, you want to leave that to the kids, but there's a massive gain on that property. Mm -hmm. You're only allowed one principal residence exemption on death. So 
that's for your home in the city, then maybe you want to have some insurance to be able to have the kids take over that vacation home on a tax-free basis. And the insurance would provide that funding liquidity uh, so that they don't are forced to sell that vacation home to be able to inherit that going forward. And it also can be used to, uh, insurance can be used to leave an inheritance. There's a number of uses uh, for life insurance. Jamie, one thing that people say that, that it's important to have this document, which is your step number four, but many, many Canadians either defer or fail to do it. What's step number four? Well, step number four is so basic, uh, drop a will. People think a will is synonymous with an estate plan. As we're hoping to illustrate today, estate plan involves more than just having a will, but the will is probably the most important step of all. If you die without a will, what happens is the Alberta law comes in and says, who gets your money? And that may not be what you intended. So if you want any say whatsoever on who gets your money or your assets when you die, you need to have a properly done will done by a lawyer. Power of attorney. Why have a power of attorney and what is it? Well, let's say you get injured, but you don't die. Your will doesn't come into effect. Uh, You want to give someone else the ability to deal with your financial affairs, just like the story that you were telling earlier. Uh, where you got a husband and wife, a husband has a stroke, and now wife has to deal with everything, but she doesn't have the legal right to do so. She could apply to court to do it, but that's complicated. Better to sign off on a simple document. Any lawyer that's preparing your will should also offer a power of attorney for property, allowing you to effectively manage the financial affairs uh, should the individual that you have the attorney for, uh, the, the document for, become incapacitated. And I think that's very important. In this in this story we were talking about my of my, of our client on Thursday, um, they don't have a power of attorney. Right. They are looking at selling their home and downsizing into a home that can accept their her husband, so which is more uh, easier for his mobility or lack of mobility. Right. And so you can't sell a real estate property because they're joint on title. Because they're joint on title, mm-hmm. and even then it's dower rights on top of that. And so there's a, a legal complexity to right. selling a home. And so if the person is incapacitated or deemed to be incapacitated and cannot act on their own accord. Now you've got a hang-up on trying to sell the property. because, right. And these are you decide these things fairly quickly when you're going through a situation like a stroke or a heart attack or, or anything like that. And, that's, and now all of a sudden you're, you're, you're tie, you have one t- hand tied behind your back because now you have to go through a whole bunch of other work just to get it. So preparing this document along with your will in advance mm-hmm. is very important. Now we talked about the stroke uh, of our client and how it's impacting him and his wife, but there's a document that needs to be done in, in regards to Everything but financial. Right. And so, Jamie, number six on your on your list is uh, about powers of attorney for personal care. We call it living will or personal care directive. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, well, again, uh, we already talked about the power of attorney for property, which gives someone else the uh, power to make financial decisions. But what about personal health and medical decisions? It could be an extreme situation, like how long do you go on life support in the hospital? But much more basic than that. What type of room do you want? Do you want a private room, semi-private? Are you going to be in a ward? What type of uh, conditions do you want to live? Do you want to be living at home until you're not comfortable anymore? Like These are all very basic health-type uh, uh, decisions, and you want to give somebody else the legal right to make those decisions on your behalf. Very easy to be done if done in advance before you become incapacitated with the legal document. Okay, now, something near and dear to your heart, tax. So, <laughs> step seven, seven minimize, minimize taxes, taxes and other fees. Absolutely. And uh, we spend lots of time with our clients trying to look at ways to minimize tax on death. Now, for example, if you're married or living common law, 
And you can leave everything to your spouse or partner on a 100% tax-free rollover basis, no tax until the second death or until uh, the assets are sold. This applies both to your non-registered investments as well as turning RSPs, RIFs, and certainly TFSAs go tax-free. There are other planning things. If you want to leave money to charity, maybe it makes sense to leave appreciated securities in your non-registered account to charity. Not only will your estate get a receipt that can be used to reduce the income in the final year of death, but you also pay no capital gains tax on the value of the appreciation of those shares. So working with a tax professional, financial advisor, you can look at your assets and say, which assets should go to whom, and what's the most tax-effective way to leave those assets to other people. You know, Dave, we talk about asset dedication for retirement. There's also asset dedication in your legacy bucket Mm -hmm. or estate plan Mm -hmm. because, like Jamie said, you might want to designate or dedicate certain type of assets for certain goals and objectives and and based on tax and based also on what would be the best thing and easiest thing for the recipient might be things to consider. So I really like the fact that, you know, you're looking at not just the tax side of things, but how you want to dedicate assets in your your estate. Very good point. Number eight, uh, Jamie. Uh, keep track of your account's important information. Please, I want to put a list of your important information and, and your names of your advisors and your account numbers. You don't have to list every stock and bond or mutual fund that you own, but just put a list of all your accounts, where they're located, name of financial institution. Put a list uh, in a safe place. We don't suggest the safety deposit box because on this list, you want to put the location of your safety deposit box. So maybe put it somewhere at home. Tell your spouse or your executive where this list is uh, so that it's readily available should something happen to you. Why don't you bring us home? We've got uh, sort of less than a minute, Jamie. Bring us home on 9 and 10, if you would. 9 and 10 is review and update your plan regularly. We tell everyone to update their plan every year. No one listens, so maybe every few years, at least (laughs) as your life changes, birth of a child, separation, divorce, death of a parent, all impacts your plan. And finally, number 10, the hardest step, let someone know. Uh, I tell people, again, to avoid family disputes later on. If you do anything weird, in your state, like not treat all the kids equally, which you don't have to do, mm-hmm. I think it's a good idea to tell them in advance. So at the end of the day, uh, they don't end up uh, questioning what you have done. So let someone know what you're doing. Thank you, Jamie. We've got to leave it at that. Appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. I've been joined by Jamie Golenbeck, Managing Director, Tax and Estate Planning, CIBC Financial Planning and Advice and Faisal. That's the complexity of just the legacy bucket. There's three other buckets to make this whole idea of a, of a proper retirement come together, and that's what we're going to be addressing at our upcoming seminar. And we'll do that on Tuesday, January 22nd, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine, Spirits, and Beer. You need to reserve your seat, so give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or go online to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Faisal, you and I both know, having done this for so long and um, having retired with so many couples now, that men and women don't always see it the same way. Really? <laughs> Completely different. There are different things that they look at. And one of the things that most people come to us about when they sit down is the financial side. And once we talk about that or we actually ask them about you know, what are you going to do in retirement or what are your biggest fears in retirement? This is where it opens up the Pandora's box, my friend, and well, we get different answers. And it's, uh, I think it's really interesting, but it's also important to recognize the differences between partners because, you know, obviously if 
the, if you make assumptions, we know how that often ends. And, and so just understanding that men and women see this differently, and there's some unique challenges that, that married women have in particular, and we've got a terrific guest to help us understand some of those things. Uh, so uh, both men and women need to listen to this segment, dudes. You can't tune out because you've got to <laughs> understand there's some differences yes, here. Yes, absolutely. We've got Dr. Dorian Mincer. Now, um, she's a writer, a teacher. She's a co-author of the couple's retirement puzzle, 10 must-have conversations for creating an amazing new life together. Uh, Dr. Mincer, thank you for joining us on the show. Oh, I'm pleased to be here. And what you've been saying is so true. It's such an important area, and men and women really do see things differently. Yeah, truly. So let's, let's start, let's get right at it. So, so what do married women fear most in retirement in your experience and your research? Well, there are a few things, but one thing that um, becomes more and more apparent um, over the years now that they're more dual career couples is women don't want to live their retirement, their husband's retirement dreams. Right. They want some of their own. So I think that's one important thing. They also don't want 24-7 with their partner as much as they love them, as much as it's a good relationship. Uh, work generally provides um, time together and time apart and that often works well. And so it's a real big adjustment if suddenly both people are home. Can I share with you an experience that, that Faisal and I had with a client? This is a number of years ago now, but I think maybe demonstrates some of the differences and, and the problems we can create when we make assumptions. And, and maybe you can address it from the research perspective or whatnot. But we sat with a couple one time and we were doing a retirement plan for them and talking about what retirement was like. And they were adamant that they had talked about it. And they both at some point said, we want to travel. We both love to travel. We, we're going to travel. We said, well, that's terrific. Tell me a little bit about, Mrs. X, what kind of travel you want to do. Well, I want to go to New York. I'd love to uh, spend some time shopping that or in L.A. and Rodeo Drive and you know this and that and the other thing. And then we said, Mr. X, what would you like to do? Well, I want to spend two weeks in the backcountry camping and fishing. So I said, you guys have really, you're, you're, you, you've talked about this, this travel thing, right? Well, what's interesting about that story, though, is that they assume they're going to do it together. Right. And she's like, I'm, I'm going, going back, back country. And he's like, I ain't going shopping <laughs> either. So we've got a problem here, right? <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll let you run with that all for a the time. People yeah. are often not on the same page. And it's so important to talk about and clarify expectations. I think it's really helpful if each person can clarify what their vision is. Yeah. And then you can talk together and see where it lies, where it doesn't. And the beauty is not everything has to be done together. Yeah. What's what what research tells us is actually the healthiest relationships are when people aren't joined at the hip, when there's an interdependence rather than, you know, such total dependence that it feels like you have to, you know, do everything together. Um, but that, that kind of scenario comes up a lot. Uh, the other thing that, that um, is often a worry when you asked me before about worries that women have, um, it's not unusual that, and, and this is a stereotype, but often men's activities are with other people through work. Yes. And so a common fear is that, you know, if the husband isn't working anymore, they're going to be dependent on their wife for their social life. Yes. Yep. And the wife doesn't necessarily want to be the social secretary. She wants to continue doing the things she's been doing, whether it be working or volunteer work or time with friends. Um, and wants desperately for the husband 
to make friends, but it's much harder for men. And I, you know, I see this happen a lot. And I know this segment's on women, not men, but it's often harder for men to um, make connections. Women make connections in the grocery store line. Mm-hmm. Um, men tend not to. So that's a, that's another big area. Well, anecdotally, I would say, Faisal, our experience validates that. Again, I remember one of our retirement conferences early on when we separated the guys and the gals, and you, we kind of had the opportunity to hover around both you know, areas and listen to what the women were talking about, what the men were talking about. And it was exactly what Dr. Mincer is talking about, right, is the women were terrified that the men were going to be coming home and, you know, I'm going out for coffee with the gals on this date, and we've been doing this for 20 years, and how do I tell him he's not invited? Like, he's, he's not coming to this thing, right? That, that's, that's not the, that's right. not the gig. Yeah, and, they, and some other things that were that came up, which are similar to the, the, the article in your research, too, on this, was, you know, some of them are, are feeling, you know, guilty about wanting to take time apart. Some of these ladies are, 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 are feeling, you know, he may resent you for... for right. uh, you know, being in a in a different social circle than just revolving that social right. circle around the people who live in the same home as, as each other, and so right. there are there are there are issues here. And so, what are some of the things that people can do as a like um, an exercise, yeah. a takeaway? What can they do to to prevent this from happening, or try to work on a conversation that they can have going forward? Well, I think having a conversation is really important, and if you're not used to having conversations, it can feel daunting, but it doesn't have to. Uh, what I suggest for people is really thinking about using what are called I statements. I'm thinking about, I'm feeling, um, I want to you know, make a list of what my vision is. I really would like you to make a list of things that are important, just as I mentioned before, and then let's kind of talk about it together. But I think trying to avoid you statements, trying to stick with the I statements. I'm thinking, I feel, I want to talk. Um, you statements, even if it's not intended, like you never want to do what I want to do or things like that, you know, that ends up being perceived as blaming and shaming. And that doesn't get you off on a good start for a conversation. So I statements, avoiding you statements, and don't expect to have a long conversation if you, you know, have tended not to talk about things, but maybe to say, let's sit down for five minutes or 10 minutes tonight and just start talking about what are some of the things we each want to do when we're either not working or working in a different way, what are the things that will give us connection, engagement, and purpose and meaning? Those are, I think, the most important aspects for well-being. And I think talking about it together and talking about expectations, not just the specific things you want, but expectations, and I agree 100% with what you're saying, assumptions get people into hot water. And it's better not to assume you could be right. You know, people have been together a long time. People say, you know, three words and I know what they're going to say. Maybe you do, but maybe you don't. (laughs) It's important to hear it out and listen. But I think talking, knowing that really healthy relationships are when you can do things together and apart. It actually adds um, to the relationship because you have something else to bring to the relationship um, because you've maybe done something exciting without your partner. But expectations, not making assumptions, and really having these conversations and to think about creating your own vision and then try to create a shared vision. And the shared vision could be, you know, first we'll do this and then maybe next year we'll do that. Or, And, you know, you want to try to open a we for the relationship. What's the win-win? You know, what's the way where it's sometimes your way, sometimes my way, but really trying to hear and listen and appreciate what you're hearing from each other, even if you don't agree. Sometimes you have to agree to disagree. Mm-hmm. And I think that brings us to what one of the clients that we met with 
um, I'd say last year we were discussing about their what they want to do in retirement. They knew they wanted to retire, but their activities were going to be a tough thing. And they really couldn't agree on stuff or couldn't have that conversation. So, you know, Andrew and I stepped in, Dave, and we, we had a conversation about them building their own list. We call yep. it a he list yep. and a mm-hmm. she list. And mm-hmm. then we brought that together. Yeah. We, made a, we actually put it on our whiteboard. And then we created that there was some certain common stuff that they wanted to do. Yeah. Um, we asked for 31 things they wanted to do in their retirement. Each. 31 each. each. Yeah, 31 is very difficult mm-hmm. to put together. So we built a he list. We built a she list. And then we saw common theme, themes or, or things that they wanted to do. We made that to become the we list. So we built a 24-month yeah. program where they do some he, some she, some we and then away they go and that that kind of just built the whole program around so i thought that was that was an interesting way of doing it so you know um what are your thoughts in regards to actually writing stuff down having those kind of conversations Dorian? i think that is a terrific idea i'm sorry that this phone is ringing in the background here okay. um i think that that's a, a terrific way to do it i, I like that you know the, it's the same thing of the individual vision that he lists the she lists the we list and then you know, what What you suggested is beautiful. It's setting up, you know, over you know, what you said, it was 24 months. Um, you want to have, it's similar to a financial portfolio. You want kind of a life portfolio and you want, there's, there can be time frames and it needs to be flexible. You know, nothing's written in stone because the reality is things can change. Finances can change, health can change, um, the relationships, you know, obligations to other people can change. So, you know, if you can come up with this list, I love the idea of the, you know, the 31 for each of them and then the we and where it aligns, um, because there is going to be some alignment. Um, and, you know, being able to, you know, have it be sometimes, you know, from the he list, sometimes from the she list, sometimes the we list. I mean, it's, it really sets up a nice we, 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 you know, win-win you yeah. know, kind of. Yeah. You know, we're in this together kind of relationship. I think it's just a, a lovely way. I mean, it's it's a great model to use with people. Dr. Mincer, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, if anybody's interested in reaching you because you do some coaching and speaking, consulting around this, and you've also co-authored the Couples Retirement Puzzle, which is the 10 must-have conversations for creating an amazing new life together, how can they reach you or get a copy of this book? Well, the book's available on Amazon. Yep. And my email is dorian at dorianmincer.com, D-O-R-I-A-N at D-O-R-I-A-N-M-I-N-T-Z-E-R.com. And my website is revolutionizedretirement.com. And I just want to mention on the fourth Tuesday of each month, I do have a free webinar where I interview experts around issues around second half of life. So I just would like to invite your listeners Sign up always begins the week before, but they can learn about it if they go to my website at revolutionizeretirement.com. Thank you for your time today. We appreciate it all. Thanks. It was lovely talking to you. It sounds like you do great work with people. So thanks so much. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, doctor. Okay, Faisal, we've got our next seminar coming up here. We should remind everybody because we're going to talk about how to bring this to life. And we'll be doing that on Tuesday, January 22nd, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine, Spirits, and Beer. You need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go on our website at morethanmoneyradio.com. All right, and don't uh, forget that you can access any of our past segments on morethanmoneyradio.com, or you can have them delivered directly to you every week by searching for More Than Money CHQR on Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app.
Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Invest- Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.